Welcome to this episode of Barrels and Business. As always, I'm your host, Jay Green, and my role today is to bring you tangible tips on how you can scale and grow your business, but also shoot the shit over some surfing stories. And we won't be running off early today because it's absolutely crap out here. It's actually crap over there for Kyle too. Let me introduce you, Kyle. So Kyle is, I always have to be careful about saying my favorite client, but, you know, everyone's my favorite client, but I do absolutely adore working with Kyle. Now, that's probably because we've got a bit of history. We just figured out, we go back about seven years where we both did a business course together uh, back in Sydney. We've been through the same sort of journey and we really connect on a soul level because we have a lot of same beliefs with the Mind Valley stuff and breaking the bullshit rules of society, et cetera, et cetera. So, he has definitely become much more of a friend, um, not a client, and, and partner, really, uh, in, in business and friendship and surfing. So let me tell you a bit about Kyle. Uh, if you're watching, you can see that he's currently in their workshop. Kyle's been in the hydraulics game pretty much his whole life, I think. His dad is like the hydraulics guru in Australia. Like nobody knows hydraulics like Al knows hydraulics. Kyle's been in and around that, and he now works in the family business, been in there for 13 years, taking it and evolving it. We're going to talk about the evolution story of APT Hydraulics and where they came from, where they ended up, and how they've come out the other side. But this dude's been like a air, I was going to say an airline instructor, a pilot instructor, airplane instructor. Is that right? What do we say? Yeah, an aircraft instructor, a flight instructor. He teaches other people how to fly planes. Um, he is an absolutely dedicated dad and does this amazing thing called, is it Daddies and Daughters? Dads called? and Daughters, yep. Dads and Daughters. He's a surf lifesaver. He's just an all-round epic human. So today I, uh, I want to dive deep with Kyle on what's been going on in the business for mainly the last 12 months. We're going to go into a bit of a history, but, you know, borders closed. The, his business used to be, pretty much always on site with clients, traveling interstate everywhere, sending teams out. And obviously the Corona shitstorm kind of threw a spanner in that works. So we're going to walk through that journey. Um, but where I actually want to start, Kyle, is what was the number one thing you learned from Coach Clayton when I took you to meet him? Oh, that's, um, that's a tough question. I think there was quite a few things. Um, the... The have fun thing was really, really important. Um, but I think it was, and if you use the photos that I send, it's quite embarrassing to see how bad my surfing probably was before I spent some time with Clayton. This is and, always uh, my thought. Don't post those old photos of me surfing. Coach is going to cringe. <laughs> and, and I thought, you know, when I looked at the photos, I went, you know, originally, because Kiani took them, my daughter, and I said, geez, they're really cool. I, I never had any photos of me surfing and, now I look at him and I go, oh, oh no. Clayton would want to slap me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so there was, it, it was amazing in that one hour with him that there was so much to, to come from um, balance, looking, um, holding the coffee cup and, and just 
So like in, in an hour, it just blew my mind how much I actually got out of his training. Yeah, and because you were most typically found on a longboard hanging out in Newcastle or Scott's Head. And since that day, you've been, am I right to say you've been the majority on your shortboard? I have, I have. So ooh, just before that, I had bought a shortboard just as a, let's have a bit of a hack. And Kiralee, my youngest daughter, wanted to have a play on it and she liked it. And really we bought it because she liked the look of it. Um, it's a it's an it's an oldish Sam Egan, um, so Sam Egan's a local shaper, and um, his his boy Luke was um, one of the world champions or on the world tour, um, and so that's sort of it's a bit of a local story as much as as anything to have the board, and yeah, since then I've been pushing myself to ride it to the point now where um, for a while I was taking two boards with me, and um, and now I'm consciously leaving the longboard behind and just just surfing the shortboard to improve my skills on the longboard. Yeah, because as, as, as Coach Clayton says, like riding the longboard makes us a bit lazy because uh, it's very forgiving. And, yeah, we don't, we don't need to do too much. I think the, I've, as a lot of the listeners know, I've come from being a longboarder to a shortboarder, a very short shortboarder. <laughs> and the, the biggest difference for me, like the biggest aha, was I think the like the understanding of the back foot waiting and like obviously with the longboard you've got to really get on that tail to to turn it around but when we're on the short boards we back weight and it just skates out from underneath us so the that bosu and like look like learning to get that weight on the front foot and like you can really feel it and just doing that a couple of times before you hit the water as that memory trigger is yes. massive and, and, it, and it makes a huge difference, either the cardboard or the, the BOSU or a bit of both, you know, five minutes, 10 minutes playing around on that in the morning before going out for a surf. It's amazing how big a difference that makes. And yeah. um, I guess it's a, it's a good reminder of um, the rehearsal side of things, you know, that we don't have to practice what we want to practice. You know, we can practice and rehearse elsewhere and it'll come to life for us. And I think that's a really good tip to remember in just about everything that we don't have to practice what we want to do. We can rehearse the skills. Awesome. I hope that the recording stayed with us then. I glitched out as usual, Um, but I'm pretty sure the audio got you. Um, That was the gold nugget. That was the one piece. I'm I'm sure we're perfect. I'm sure we're perfect. Um, But I just want to circle back on that. And we have, I have talked about this a few times on the podcast or in my other videos, but I think this is super important in business as well. It's the reps you do on the land that makes the biggest difference in the water. And so how would you translate that say with not only specifically with what you do with teaching hydraulics people, but just in terms of business and and training in general? Yeah. So, I mean, if we start with our students, that's what all this stuff's all about is just rehearsing the moves. So um, you know, we don't, we have a very, very safe environment for our training, but we still have all the same level of safety that we'd in, impact on the most hazardous machines. So we run at low pressure when they're out on site, they're running at high pressure and, and really high density energy, but we still impart the same knowledge. We don't let them get into the habits or the bad habits of it'll be okay. It, you know, like ah, it's, it's only low pressure. So we build the habits, even though it's not necessary, so to speak. And I think that translates into just about everything that we do that, um, 
it's the it doesn't matter what you're doing at work every day it's really about how you set yourself up and how you um get into state or get in in the mode and get moving into the day that probably makes the biggest difference you know it's not um you know for, for our guys they can't necessarily rehearse everything that we do here in the workshop but mentally they can visualize it you know mm. it's um Kelly Slater talks about visualizing the wave. You know, he visualizes every single turn before he gets on the wave. So it, it's all the same thing, no matter what we're trying to master is practice. Yeah. And that's definitely a big part of um, what we learned from Coach Slater as well is that that mind surfer, like seeing down the line, knowing where you're going to do your turn. We've talked a lot in the past about um, the improvements that can be made from visualization. Like if you look at the basketballers that improve faster than the guys on the court by doing the visualization of getting the ball through the hoop. So what, what do you think you could, um, a business owner could impart to their team in terms of that? Like what's, what's some of the things that a, a team leader or a manager could do with their team to get them visualizing, to set them up for success? I think, and, and I think it was Clayton was talking about it is visualizing the success and, and seeing you know, as we talked about with the basketball is that they can see in their own visualization, the ball goes through every time. And so they're seeing the success. And then instead of doubting themselves, they're walking into it and going, yep, here we go. It's going to go in. I'm going to own it. We're going to like a boss. Here it comes. And I think that's probably the thing that we can teach um, just about anyone, whether that's our students or our, our own team, or even who we impact on site is that um, visualize the things working. You know, how, however your day is going to go, however, um, if you're troubleshooting a machine, visualize it working. Think about it working because then you're not second guessing everything that you actually do. Mm. And like as we're, we're into our meditation and we, we get the, uh, the importance of it and, and how much uh, impact it can really have by dropping into a meditation and doing the visualization. But I think if that's a step too far for some business owners, like especially like uh, we've had a couple of guys that are, you know, run construction businesses and it's just too too far red car to, to think about that. But I think if you can get your team together and go, okay, we've got to work on this problem or this project today, paint the picture of what success looks like at the end of the day and get them to use language that, that they can use and get the team to talk about what does success look like? Okay, you're going to do that. What, what would success look like? How would that go? And that is a form because they're, they're then visualizing it in their head and it's setting that intention of how it wants to go. And then their brain's constantly already looking for the solution and it's kind of going, okay, well, that could be a problem. That, that's going to be the issue. That's how I could change course. And it's setting them up before they have to go into the trenches. Mm, definitely. And I think as a leader, and um, this is something that I've got to work really, really hard on is being able to paint the picture. So, Brene Brown talks about paint the picture rather than just explain or draw the picture, paint it, put all the details in, add all that context, add everything that's going through your own mind, try and get as much of that out and, and paint the whole picture for your team so that they can be enrolled in um, and pick up on the pieces that you're trying to put together. Um, we've, we've talked before about um, how fast we speak versus how fast we think. And I think, you know, like I know, I know for me that um, one of my catchphrases is use all the words, Kyle. So. <laughs> for, for, the, for the podcast watchers, Kyle, that don't, 
don't know that, just just recap on the the speed of um, thinking versus uh, speaking yeah, and receiving. Yeah. So we generally speak at around 120 words a minute. And if we're really excited, well, yeah, if we're excitable and excited, we'll, we'll talk at around about 180 words a minute. And um, interestingly enough, when we speak at that speed, people pay more attention than 120. Um, but our brains, for an average everyday person, our brain's going at 450 words a minute. So we, we've missed two thirds of the words that the brain said while the mouth was trying to keep up. And for someone, um, and I know I'm one of these people, for someone that has an overactive brain, that could be anywhere over a thousand words a minute that your brain's ticking away at. So really when you've spoken, all you've done is given 10% of the picture. And even when you can speak as fast as I do, often when I'm going, ideas are coming out, I'm going to work on it on everyone. It's still not keeping up with the brain thoughts. <laughs> No. Which means we often think we've communicated something because we thought it, but the other person hasn't received it. Most definitely. And, and we, if, if we understand that that was the problem, that it was my brain has said the words, but my mouth hasn't, then we're not looking at the room and looking at everyone else around us going, I just said this. Like, why isn't everyone picking up on why I can see the picture? <laughs> why isn't everyone else why picking up with this? <laughs> and we, we've done a lot of work on profiles as well and there's certain personality profiles that even think faster and bigger picture and are, uh, are less articulate in communicating to some of the other profiles which makes it frustrating for everybody um, but that's why I think when you do slow down to say paint the picture you're, you're forced to think about it the other thing though you should think about is how do other people receive so what words do you need to use? What language do you need to use? How do you, um, do you need to draw it? Do you need to just speak it? Like what, do they need details and facts or do they need excitement? And if you're talking to a whole group, how do you layer all of those things into the painted picture? It's a really important piece of that puzzle is how people receive information best and, um, it's one of the things that I talk about with my team and, and the people that we teach. So most of our, our students are tradies. Um, and so the typical tradie is a tactile learner. Things have to be in their hands. And, and a really great example that I talk about, you can hold this in front of them and say, that's blue. And they will look at you and nod and, yep, that's blue. And it, it's not actually getting in. And you can say it as many times as you want and they won't catch it. But as soon as you put it in their hands and say that's blue, they go, yeah, I can see that. Now they've touched it, which has nothing to do with the color, but because they're a tactile learner and they've connected with it through that tactile, they've caught it, they've got the whole message. And it's a really key thing, and particularly trying to communicate with tradie teams, is that you can stand in front of them and talk as much as you want. And you can hand them an email or a picture or a, a memo as much as you want, and they're not going to catch it. <laughs> no, actually, that um that brings me back to the podcast I did with Oscar Tromboli, um, and specifically the difference between male and female listeners as well. And if like obviously not all tradies are male, but if you went with the majority, he he does talk a lot about how you've got to get something in their hands or them doing something so that their their monkey brains not run off. So I think that's a really great thing. Um, I wasn't going to make this whole podcast around tradies, but I do think that it'd be great to just dive a little bit deeper on that, Kyle, because 
um, we do have a lot of listeners that have that um, that trade-based business um, and they're running teams or they're, they're not even running teams. They're running their business by text message and kind of scattered things. I don't understand why people don't get it. Um, you'd find it in the engineering world. Like they, they might have an engineering manager, but they've never managed before and they think they can just give someone a quick instruction and they'll know exactly how to do it. What I well, think we need learn to- differently. Yeah. And, and that can be, um, you know, sometimes in that engineering world, the leader is a, is a bachelor degree type engineer who's trying to lead a bunch of tradies. And both of these people learn and communicate completely differently. It's, it's yeah. absolutely hilarious to get both of them in the classroom here with us because the tradies are asking questions like, okay, how does that move? What does it do? And the engineers are asking these questions like, so what's the physics behind that? And what force does it take? And, and all these really big concept ideas. Now, they're both trying to learn the same thing. And both of them are right in their learning process. It's just that they're doing it differently. Mm. Yeah. So I think that the, the key thing that we should take out of this is really thinking about before you communicate, do you know how the person is? Like what sort of learner they are? What sort of listener they are? Um, do you need to like, cause really if you, if you want to have a more productive, more efficient, more happy team, it's, it's on you to make sure that you communicate so they can hear you. It's not on them to learn better how to hear you because we see so many people banging their head. Oh, they just don't get it. They don't fucking listen. They don't do this. Uh, They're all duds. They're useless. Yeah. And, and I think no. it's extreme it's, ownership. Um, <laughs> It's actually a really good thing. We probably need to go back right to the start. And you said, yeah, a lot of tradies and communication and all that. And, and it's something that I'm passionate about is um, tradies are not stupid. None of them are stupid. Um, and what we've got to be able to do is communicate with them in the way that they understand. But I think more importantly, as a tradie, understand that you're actually pretty cluey. Yeah, you, you don't have to go, oh, I'm just a dumb tradie. I absolutely hate that term. I'm just yeah. a dumb tradie. I'm a dumb chippy. I'm a dumb fitter. Yeah, or, or I'm just a chippy. I'm, I'm just, just a, a chippy. chippy. I'm just a fitter. You know, like I really hate that term and that concept because, you know, that's you're actually really, really good at it. And um, I've got a good friend of mine that um, is a boilermaker. So he, he cuts and welds steel and he does it like a boss, does other things now. And it truly amazed me one day many years ago we're working on building a trailer, probably the one over here in the workshop. And I, I said something about, you know, how, how long do I have to cut this out? And he, he sort of scratched his head and, you know, couldn't really do it. And I said, like, oh, righto. And then he grabbed the chalk that he uses every day of the week, so the tactile bit. And instead of on a piece of paper, he grabbed out the length of steel that we we're working on and he went and he measured it and he went, oh, yeah, it's that long. So we needed this, 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 and this. And the math problem that we had that we we're trying to work out on a bit of paper, he couldn't do it on a piece of paper, mm. but give him the tactile things that he knows and understands. And yeah. like right. a boss, like as well as anyone could do, he did it. And that's, yeah. that's a key point for our tradies is to remember that, you know, you, just because you think differently, you definitely shouldn't think bad of yourself. Yeah, hundred percent. And the, for the business owners and the team leaders, I just really, want to impress upon you because I just hear it so often that my team is shit or they don't get it. And it's like, it's all, it's their fault. Sorry, guys. It's your fault. Like, I know that sounds really harsh, but it's, it's your fault. 
And you need to think about what you need to do to be able to increase that. How can you help and support them? Because if you really think about it, you just want the end result, right? So if you want the end result, think about ego aside, what is the best way to get that end result? And what do you need to do to maybe upskill or to work on to be able to get that end result? Because if you can put that ego aside and do that, then you're going to be way more productive, way more profitable. And you're going to, you personally will, won't have to do as much work because the others will know what to do and you won't be redoing it. Cause so many people say, Oh, I just might as well fucking do it myself because no one does it as good as me. They can't do it as good as you because you haven't, you haven't painted the picture of what is good enough for you. You didn't paint success for them. Didn't give them everything yeah. they needed. Yep. Yeah. Um, I think we'll circle back to this card, but I just want to uh, sort of go back to where I was going to start with and the journey of uh, APT. Is that a beer? It's definitely oh, that's a water. real bottle. Okay. Definitely I thought that was okay. the, I thought you'd put a cool blue thing over the um, beer bottle holder I gave you. I was like, Not wait. Yet. Not, Not yet. yet. Later. <laughs> um, yeah, so I just want to go back to the beginning of last year with APT. So APT is mainly a on-site physical face-to-face training business based in Newcastle but traveling to every state of Australia. And then the Rona. Then the Rona. So let's <sighs> walk through a bit of the journey and some of the, firstly, high five to you because uh, despite all of that, and this is what we're going to learn, despite all of that, APT has had its best year ever. We're, so we're even impressed. when it should have been the worst year ever, actually, I'm going to give you props too. The, we had a conversation mid-corona and, and you said to me, I don't care about anything else. The goal is that we don't have to let anyone go that we don't want to let go because we don't have the cash. We just, we need to do whatever we can do to make sure that we keep our team and we look after them and that we don't have to lay anyone off. And that, that became the North star of, right, what do we got to do? So amazingly, you managed to, to do that, keep the team going, keep the, keep the, the dollars coming in. So just, I'm going to hand over to you now. Just walk us through that journey and, yeah, any of the trials and tribulations. Oh, Rona. I, I think everyone's probably sick of Rona. Um, I, I guess, um, you know, we we probably underestimated, actually, when I say we, I underestimated the impact that Corona was going to have on on our business and probably the longevity of um, the, the stuff that was going to come out of Corona. So um, in hindsight... I probably should have done some other things right at the start. Um, and that's, that's the beauty of hindsight. So we, we were a, a on-site business, our, our training, we, we were set up for on-site training. We've got two trailers that travel the country. Um, they do tens of thousands of kilometers every year, um, everywhere, you know, like we're, we're down to South Australia, we're up to Queensland and it doesn't matter We're we're just constantly traveling and probably we let the idea that Corona was only going to be short term drive some decisions. And we kind of just plowed on for a little bit and until it was really that realization of a oh, shit, how long is this? When are we going to come out of this? And then 
I guess our customers probably didn't also realize how big an impact it was going to have on them. Um, yeah, like for us, we're, we're out here in the Hunter Valley or we're up in Mudgee and you know, for the better part, we're out of the epicenters that, that were big corona cases and yeah, do we really have to worry about it? And then I think as, as it went on a little bit, our customers and the site started to realize, well, hang on, if we get one case in a team of 12 that sits in a bus together and rides backwards and forwards and works in close proximity, hang on, that might take out a whole team or a whole crew and all of a sudden the, the impact of that revenue. So then um, any potential carriers were locked off site. So whether that was our BD, so Gav couldn't get the site to just talk to people about how we might be able to help them and, and do work. Um, whether it was and us to know that Gav is the type of salesperson that is a face-to-face relationship building dude. Like that's, that's what's ingrained to him. That's what he like, that's his jam. Uh, yep. Technology, not, not his strong point. Getting in and saying hi to people, going champions is his, <laughs> his jam. So that's a and massive. Prop like, to Gav this oh. year. He has, yeah. um, he has been a fish out of water but not being able to be on site. And it's been probably nearly 12 months now for him where he's been locked off site. And, um, you know, no, normally we're, we're running through hundreds of litres of fuel in his ute and it's um, sat in his front driveway while he's been on the phone. So, um, yeah, that, that's the first impact is that from a sales and a business development and a relationship management point of view, we just couldn't be on site to have that human connection, which is, you know, pretty important. And then um, even training programs that we had booked in, it's like, oh, you're a potential carrier. We're not bringing you to site. We're excluding you. Um, and even um, we're not going to mix crews. So we're not going to have those people from over there and those people from over there because if one of them's sick, we don't want to explode it. So it really got into this cycle where it didn't matter how you wanted to think about delivering and being on site. It just wasn't going to happen. So for us, that started to really impact what we're doing. We were still lucky enough that we could operate our office and operate our training room here. Um, we only have fairly small numbers. We've only got about six in the room anyway, so it didn't super impact that. It was more that the sites were going, uh, everything's off. <laughs> so not only are we not going to see anyone, but everything's off. We're just, we're canceling everything. <laughs> and, and that, yeah, that, that, um, that vibe that ran through every customer and it just, everything was hard. Every time we turned around, it was, no, we can't do that. We're, we're just not, <laughs> but you know, we can do online training. Yeah. We're just not, we're just, we're just not. Um, luckily for us, we'd been working on moving our training to an online delivery. So some of our students were able to, pause the face-to-face -face component and still work online with us and, and still get through some of the training. And that was probably, um, it was probably good fortune for us that we'd started that process. And we certainly worked really, really hard since then to push all that we can to an online platform so that we're not going to get caught out. Yeah. And that's actually future proofing the business far more than just Corona because now you're able to access people outside of Australia um, that still need this knowledge at access to people that their company may not pay for them or they won't give them the time that's giving some more flexibility from that. It's opened up new streams and like 
pathways of being having able to have entry level um, products to step people through the process so that if it was too big a jump for them to jump into a $6,000, $8,000 program, pick them up with like a hundred buck um, product, get them started, get their, get their juices flowing. So it's kind of made a whole new pathway and division for you. Um, but it's also future proofing you against anything that happened. Like, cause I know you guys got any natural disaster happens, you get, it, you get impacted like anything like that. And this I think is, although it's um, it's been hard, you've now really set your business up to, to, to explode and leverage that if you, there might've been a thought there before, but this is now it's like, okay, cool. We're, we've, we're thinking even bigger picture. We're thinking new ideas out of the box and the business has gone probably places and ready to go places that it, um, it may not have got to or, or would have taken a lot, a lot of time. And, you know, a competitor could have come in and swooped out that online stuff. Absolutely. And so it's given us a chance to focus on, I guess, future, future proofing, but also being able to serve students that we probably couldn't have got to otherwise. Um, there's so many of our customers and students that are in remote locations in the middle of nowhere and just can't get access to training anyway. So it's really given us a chance to have a bigger impact and, and get more done and um, you know, access more of those students just by moving to that online stuff. Mm. So we were fortunate enough that we could do that and, and make that happen um, and that we were already in the process of doing it that was probably a really, really good thing. Mm, beautiful. Um, so tell me about some of the, the challenges. What's, uh, what do you think, what, we, had a, we had a ball dropped. Let's, let's uh, take some ownership. We, we dropped a ball along the way. What happened? <laughs> so I think there was probably more than one. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it was, um, I guess, right at the start, it was really, really easy to slip into the, the fuck kind of, kind of mindset and probably did for a bit. Um, we, we had moved um, one of our really senior guys into a leadership role. So he was looking after our product and service delivery team. And really, we just didn't support him. Like, uh, as much as everything else that, that went on, um, we just didn't support him adequately. We kind of threw him the keys to the bus and didn't teach me how to drive it and, you know, just didn't support him in, in getting there. So um, in that, the team sort of um, mostly because of communication was rubbing each other. And, um, yeah, they, they all understand that now, that they were all rubbing each other just the wrong way and um, to the point where where our team leader decided that he wasn't going to lead the team anymore. He'd had enough of that and... Um, you know, we, whether it was a part of all of that or not, we, one of our guys left. And so it, it kind of just built this whole, <laughs> and for me, I guess, um, you know, in hindsight, my, um, my mindset was probably just fucking deal with it guys. Cause I've got all this other shit that needs to happen. Otherwise next week, we're not going to be here doing it. And yeah. that, probably wasn't the right way to run it. That probably isn't the best Well, outcome. just an observation on that. And, and then you probably see this on site with your clients. I know we were talking about the, the mentoring aspect you're going to do in the future, and it kind of ties into this. 
And it's because often the most senior person or the person with the most knowledge that's really good at doing the job gets moved into the leadership role because they've got the knowledge, they've been around the longest, they know how to do it. So we'll make them the leader or, and or the, the founder business owner is too fucking busy, got all the other fires they're putting out and they just need to shift something. And it's like, boy, you. And usually the best technician, the best person doing the job is the worst person to have as the leader in almost every instance. Like even if you think about sales, often your very best salesperson, they might through ego want to, because they think, you know, keeping up with Joneses, that's career progression, I should move into management leadership, but it's usually their least uh, capable skill is leading and managing the other people because they just want to go out and get their shit done. They they get bogged, bogged down doing the management is not where they need to be. And then you hamper it and then you lost sales. Same with your technicians. Often the best technicians, their profile type is uh, more of a, a tech or a hands-on or a doing. They're not on the people side with the supporting and the leading and then there's a rub. And they, worse though, they feel like their whole energy is drained and they start hating what they're doing. And the more they hate what they're doing, the more that energy radiates out and the, the, the more friction and bounce there is. Yeah. The yeah. other thing is a lot of the guys that are geniuses at what they do, not guys, girls, everyone, that are geniuses at what they do and they're like, you know, the, the pinnacle of it, they don't even know how they do it. Like because it's a lot of it's by intuition or it has been there for so long, they don't actually know how to impart that on someone else. Even when, like in your instance, they are an actual trainer, they know how to train the stuff that they're, that they're training on, but they don't know how to train the trainers on being a trainer. Yep, yep. Because that bit and just second nature. Yeah, and, and it is. Like if, for, I guess if we, if we think about anything that we're really, really good at and we try to break it down, it's probably one of the hardest tasks we can try and do because mm. we're doing it from instinct. And yeah. you know, we're, we're doing it from lots and lots of experience, um, which you know, it, it's very, very hard to impart that experience. We can try, but um, you know, for the better part, experience is what brings us to where we are. Yeah. And again, like I'm thinking about, say, a tradie, like a, tri- like a chippy. And if you had an amazing um, craftsman um, that's, that's great at their job, like they absolutely know how to build beautiful things, and, but they're not a manager, they're not a leader. And they ask an apprentice or even a, um, another chippy to go do something. And they're like, just go do this, make it like that. In their brain, they've thought about what that's going to look like. They know how beautiful it's going to be. They know what routed edge needs to be and what angle it needs to be and, you know, how the grain's going to go and they, they've seen it. But the other person, they've got their own picture of what it's going to be. And then what you end up with on the end of the day, the guy coming over and going, what the fuck's that? <laughs> What'd you do that? That's not what I told you to do. Yeah, I didn't tell you to do that. <laughs> the guy's like, you told me to make a bench. I made a bench. Like, <laughs> And then there's friction and then he's like, the egos then come in and like, and it all came down to the communication on not painting that picture. Um, but the, the, again, the point that I want to anchor in here is for business owners, I know it can be really tempting to offload 
something you don't want to do or the management of a team to someone who knows how to do the technical job, but it is fraught with danger. You really, really need to think about often there'll be someone on the team that's probably not as good technically. Like you might have someone on your team that doesn't know exactly how to design bomb trucks, um, but they know how to communicate and pull the team together and gather the information. They don't actually need to be built, like to run the team, they don't need to be the one that's building the bomb truck. And I think one of the probably realizations a few weeks ago was the moving away from the hierarchy type picture. And I think it's just the picture thing into the networks kind of thing. So that it's a job function. So, you know, I'm not your boss. I have a function. I do something yeah. in the business. And, you know, while my job might be to make sure you turn up on time, make sure that you get the job done and, and do that as the leader, I need to be setting the tone and the culture so that you can achieve those things and that you're motivated to do those things rather than me forcing you into them. Mm. And yeah. if we think about that network, we're creating a network and we're not creating a hierarchy, <laughs> but a network where we can, we've all got a job function. You know, if, if my job is to process payroll and make sure you get paid, you know, I'm doing that based on information. <laughs> If you don't do your timesheet and I haven't got your information, then I can't do it. And I think if we can impart that information on on our teams that, you know, it's not the payroll bitch not paying you. You're not <laughs> doing your time. It, it's just that she needed some information. Now holding everyone up because of lack of information doesn't work. And I know that's that's something that rubs guys, absolutely rubs them. And so then they're team needs to make sure that they're empowered and and have the skills and the technology and absolutely everything so that time sheets at nine o'clock on monday is really easy to make happen and yeah. um i think as i described in one of the roles for for our team is that remove hurdles so the product and service delivery almost everyone else in the business should be removing hurdles from those guys and girls yeah so um, what you were just talking about there is when we redesigned, rather than having an org chart, we went to role architecture. Um, so typical businesses have an org chart, which starts with the boss at the very top and then this tiered section down to the workers at the bottom. And it looks really hierarchical. It doesn't look very empowering to the person on the bottom line. And it, it kind of makes it appear that one person is more important than the other. What I loved what you touched on there is, A, we turned yours into a network. And it's really obvious that without one team, the other team can't do their job. And that everyone is actually overlapping and working together. And each pawn has a piece, has a, a thing to play in it, right? So everyone has their duty. And that, that's what led to us creating the, the roles as tools of duty. Um, and we might touch on that in a minute. Um, but for listeners, there's an amazing book that I'll talk through um, called The Alliance by the LinkedIn co-founders. And that's where I get the, the terminology of tools of duty. But if you think about that, when everyone's doing their, if they've got a tour of duty and they're part of a mission, every piece is equally as important. And if you don't have, if you don't have payroll paying you, you're not going to be happy and you're not going to turn up. So she is equally as important or he is equally as important as frontline, uh, understanding 
where your genius sits and having people sit in their right genius zones to enable the business to achieve its ultimate mission. So how you were saying service and delivery, which are your ripple creators, everyone's job is to remove the hurdles so that those guys can deliver. Because with the company's overall mission of impacting the tradies, then they're not, we're not going to, as a company, achieve that mission if these people can't be out delivering. So it's like, okay, that doesn't make the person in the ripple creator team more important than the, the instigator, which might be, which is your salesperson, your initiator. It just, it just means that we need to work together because one without the other doesn't work. Mm. Yep. Um, yep. And, and also that taking that structure out and going, okay, either you as the business leader and, and me as a plugged in CEO we're not sitting above them. It's like, okay, we've got tools of duty. What's our job? Okay, if we look at that, and this is what I really, I'm going to get you to touch on why it's so important to have your business owner um, own tour of duty. Because it's if we don't know what our job is within the team and have that as a guiding star, you can get squirreled off doing a million other things, being busy, being busy. But if you then bring it back to the North Star, this is why we exist. This is the mission that we're on. And my job is to remove the hurdles for those guys. It's not that it's not those guys' job to make us money and make us happy. It's our job to make it easier for those guys to, to succeed in our mission. Yep. Remove the hurdles. It's, remove the um, hurdles. Can you talk through what matter. you shared? Sorry. Sorry. I was just going to say, it doesn't matter what your team is either. If you're leading the team, your job is to get the hurdles out of their way. Yeah. Yeah, you're sweeping the floor in front of them. You're getting everything out of the way so they can march on and do what they're there to do. And I think that concept, and particularly if it's communicated with the team, is really, really powerful because it then takes away, and it's a big thing with tradies, oh, you're my fucking boss. I don't have to do what you said. Yeah. You're not the boss of me. You're not my dad. <laughs> you're not my dad. <laughs> but and and like oh, there's so many um, in those traded teams where um, there's a fear of being the team leader because oh everyone's going to hate me now. Yeah, and, everyone's going to think I'm a dick because I've got a big yeah, boss. Yeah, and yeah. and really it, what it's got to be is you communicate with them. Hey, my job's to make yours easier. Yeah, you know, like how can I make sure that you can a get the job done, b get your timesheet done. So you clean up the site properly. Yeah, what can I do to make sure that you're empowered and, and, and getting all the stuff done that you need to do? Yeah. Can you, like you shared on the Wetsuit CEO call, I think two weeks ago, um, one of the guys asked, like, I think you some questions uh, in the WhatsApp group around, what would you tell your 20-year-old self or your the, the you at the beginning of your journey on some of the things that would be the most important? And we were talking specifically around tours of duty. And can you just drop into that? Yeah, it, it was um, probably a bit of a realisation that the one thing, you know, the one thing that would make all the difference is getting all of this stuff bedded down and clear right from the start, no matter where you are in your own journey, is being really, really clear on um, first who you are as a technician, but then who you are as a business owner, founder, boss, general manager, bookkeeper, um, toilet cleaner, <laughs> because you do, you're doing absolutely everything. And, um, yeah, we, we talked about, um, you know, sort of shooting off a little bit. You know, how do I get to that first $100,000 in revenue? And all you do is grind. That's You just grind, grind, grind. You know, what can I do? What can I do? I'm, I'm reasonably good at something. So all I've got to do is just go and punch out. Do more of it. Yeah. And 
that's me as a technician. And, you know, as a technician, I'm doing that really, really well, but I'm forgetting about these five other roles sitting over here that pay the bill, you know, like get the invoices out. Oh, I've got to get these invoices out. So now I've just grinded away for 50 or 60, 70 hours in the week just so that I can earn a really good income. And now I've got to do another 10 hours of bookkeeping. Um, and, oh, crap, I didn't order the stuff for next week. So, crap. And, you know, I think the realisation of, you know, me as the technician, but me as all these other supporting roles, if I can get that really, really clear and set how much time I'm going to put into each one, it will give me the ability to scale um, probably more sustainably. So um, I, I was talking with one of the other um, girls in the group about, you know, you as a technician can choose to spend the 80 hours a week doing the technician stuff and grinding, 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 but you're going to hit a cap really, really quick. Or you can choose to do 30 hours of the technician stuff and not earn quite as much, but then invest your time in, okay, now I set the processes and, and systems in place to do the bookkeeping because then that takes away, well, hang on, I can easily give that to someone now and I know it's going to happen to the standard that I need to do the things that I need done and I've already written it and, and I understand it. And I think that was the key thing for me is it, it's the foundation for the systems and processes then that allow you to scale mm-hmm. sustainably. Yeah, and this is... This is the thing that's going to make the difference when you pass over because otherwise we pass over and we just expect someone knows how to do it. And like you said, with what happened with your team leader, we didn't, he didn't get supported. And so when he wasn't supported, he didn't know how to do the job. He's never done it before. He didn't know what you expected. There was no painted picture of success, but there was no manual on how to do it. There was no, this is how I currently do it or anything. It was just kind of like, Mm. I'm free, little bird. Yeah, yeah. And and it doesn't matter what that that little piece of the role is, is if you can document it as you're going along. And I hate it. I hate documenting stuff. We do documentation and uh, it, it's a real grind for me these days to actually get into the groove of writing and documenting. But if I can document it and I know that that's my go-to, then when I go, fuck it, I've had enough of doing this and pass it off, and successfully pass it off. And whether, as I was saying, like that might be the bookkeeping because that's, that's the first thing that everyone wants to get rid of is the bookkeeping. Just make it go away. Make it go away. Um, Zero. But, but, you know, we didn't explain to them, hang on, you, you can't invoice that person on this day of the month or you've got it. Like if we didn't explain all that stuff and we didn't write it all, we didn't have the architecture behind it, then uh, I might as well just do it myself. Yep. And then you're back into doing it all yourself. Yeah. And, and they were shit at it. Like, and that's where the, that resentment of, oh, they were crap. Actually, no, it wasn't them that was crap. You were crap. You didn't teach yeah. them. And like, this is where, you know, I, uh, what we were talking about before, it's, it's the reps that you do on the land that pays off the most in the water. So doing that documentation, doing it and just refining it, get it done once is what's going to pay off in the long term because then someone else can go do it. And then you're freed up to do what you want to do rather than having to go back and clean up mess. Um, the stress isn't there. The stress of, oh, I've got to bring someone in. Last time I brought someone in, it was a flop because they were a dud and, oh, and now I've got to babysit them so much. And, and it just, we end up in this cycle of going nowhere. 
And the, the, the key thing, like, just can we circle back through to what you were saying about the, the first hundred grand, right? So the first hundred grand, you're just, you're doing everything yourself. And if you can't get yourself freed up to do only the work that only you can do and the stuff that's like 50 bucks an hour, 60 bucks an hour, hundred bucks an hour, 350 bucks an hour, thousand dollars an hour, because you're too busy doing $10 an hour jobs like reconciling zero or sweeping the floor or setting up like, you know, tidying up a site because no, because the bloody, you know, the laborer, they always leave the shit there or they don't coil the thing up properly. And then I just have to come and do it anyway. Yep. Yep. And what we didn't do is we didn't tell the laborer that that portrays an image of our business. And the reason that we get more work is because the site's nice and tidy because the work site looks the part and there isn't just a cable line on the floor. And when I turn up, I feel really proud of my team seeing that they've kept the place really good and it helps me have a better picture and a better story to tell everyone. And when I bring the customers in, I'm not worried about them tripping over stuff and I can share the positive vibes about everything rather than fuck. And again, A, that comes back to the painted picture of what success looks like, but the why. The why, why. like people aren't engaged in the what, right? It, we, I don't give a shit if the hose is rolled up. <laughs> no, they don't. And because well, I think we talked about this on Wednesday night's call, um, the logical brain doesn't actually make the decisions. The limbic brain does. The limbic brain's responsible for feelings and emotions, and because of that, makes the decisions. So even if you're a person that needs facts and figures, it's still, it, they attach a, a feeling and emotion, like a feeling of certainty because of trust. And, and it's when we can get trust and loyalty that makes people make those decisions. And we are talking about that for people when we create tools of duty for them to come into our teams or when we're managing them. But if you just think about getting them to do a task, if you just go, go do this, and, they, and in their head, they just want, it's just get it done, but you don't tell them why it's important to have it done to a certain standard and the bigger picture, then they're not bought into it. It's not their task. Like they, they didn't decide to do it. So you need to figure out how can you enroll them? And I think I love what you were saying there. It's like, because we get more business when our sites are tidy because they trust us because it sets us apart from the, the rest. We are actually, it's so much more efficient for the tradesmen coming through, if they can just uncoil a uh, extension lead rather than it being a big jumbled up mess and that saves time and also keeps them in a better mood. And if they're in a better mood, they do better work rather than pissed off mood than yelling at somebody else. Which brings a whole, it just brings everything down because the bloody cable wasn't coiled up. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, seems like a minute thing, right? But then it can spiral into the biggest thing. Um, even into someone getting hurt because they came in, they ended up in the wrong mindset and that that's the absolute extreme of it. And I guess yeah. we, we, that's where we have to take the responsibility to make sure that people understand why these things are so important. We, we had a bit of a talk about um, with the team here about why it's important that the training is fun, you know, and really it's, it's nothing to do with um, putting on a party or having a show or all of that sort of stuff. It, it's all about getting the message across in the most efficient way and having people wanting to come to the training so we can have that bigger impact on more and more people. Um, you know, we talk about learning is some knowledge 
and an emotion. And we need both of them for it to actually embed. If it's a positive emotion, we can much quicker access the, the knowledge rather than a negative emotion. And so it's really important that we do that so that our students retain what they want to retain or need to retain, but they also then go and share it with everyone and we can have that bigger ripple. Yeah. Well, that, like that just makes logic sense, right? So if you're having fun, you're more engaged. If you're bored to tears, your brain's probably gone off thinking about a bazillion other things. And you've told your brain, I don't remember this because boring. Yep. Yep. So thinking about how you can add that element of fun. And we even talked about this as examples, um, not that it's happened at your place, but like examples that we've seen in workplaces before. If people are getting bullied or it's a heavy energy, people are snapping at each other, that that coming in is not fun. Right? You're not having fun if you're turning up and being bullied. If it's um, if everyone's at each other, if the place is a shit fight, if it's a mess, like that's just not fun. Like if it's hard to do your job because there's crap everywhere and it's just like, oh my God. Or you've got someone doing a job that isn't in their genius and they're like, oh my God. Let me out of here. Let me out of here. Then it's not fun. And they're A, they're not going to do their best work. And B, they're going to be a knock-on effect and a ripple to the rest of the people. So, possibly your clients. And definitely your clients. So I love, and we're going to talk about values and virtues in a minute, but I love that one of your core ones is have fun. And if I could, and this, actually that circles right back to Clayton, doesn't it? I love this circular thing. If I could, if I could get every business owner to think about how could they make their day more fun as for themselves, their employees' lives more fun, and their customer, supply, customer and suppliers' lives more fun by interacting with you. Imagine the filter that runs over it, right? Now, fun doesn't mean not serious or professional. Like when you think about it, it's not fun when shit goes wrong. It's not fun when it's hard. It's not fun if you have to complain. I'm having a little bit of a giggle because Brock brought in some um, Nerf guns today. Oh, they did come in, did they? They did make it in. And I did tell him that he had to arm the rebels. So Kayla's been armed with one as well. Beautiful. <laughs> and so when we talked on um, Tuesday, the guys said that they, that how, I asked them how they were going to embody one of the values this, uh, this week. Brock said he was going to bring Nerf guns to shoot at Hayden. And we said, that'll be fun. But the key thing is you need to know when it's not fun anymore. Yep. So if you see that the other person's not having fun anymore, it needs to stop immediately. And it's understanding that line um, because there is a bit of a fine line, especially, and, you know, especially in the uh, more industrially uh, workshoppy space, there, there sometimes is a fine line between having a laugh, taking the piss, um, pulling a prank. <laughs> is that, can I have a beer now? Is that what's, what's happening there? It must be. No, that, that's part of the team leaving at the moment. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so, you know, giving them, giving the freedom to like actually do have fun. Like the, the workplaces that are the most productive and have the longest tenure in their teams are ones that have best friends at work, that they Definitely. see their comrades, their comrades, their colleagues as comrades and as friends. So we've, like if you came from the industrial age and or if you came from an old school, 
Hayden's taking um, a photo. Sorry, I had to. I had to photo bomb it. Had to photo bomb it. Perfect. <laughs> um, if you like, a lot of people came from the old schools. Like, we come to work and we do the job and we stay in our box. And this is not a place where, like, I've how many times you've heard you're not here to make friends. <laughs> yep. Yep. Why not? Every I want every single one of my clients to be one of my best friends. I want every single team member to see me as one of their best friends, trusted. They can lean on me. They can, and most importantly, because when they think of you as a friend, they can be vulnerable. And we know that vulnerability is one of the biggest pieces of creativity and being able to grow. And if you want that in your team, if you like every business needs people to be able to be creative, to look, to innovate, to be able to take chances, to voice their ideas. And if you can't be vulnerable, you, you can't have, you can't have creativity. Absolutely. Um, And I guess it's that safety to make mistakes, but also the safety to share enough with the team. So they understand what's going on and the story that we're telling ourselves can then be the truth. Um, So that's a reference from Brene Brown, you know, the, you know, before I enter into something and she talks about the argument that she was having with her husband, um, the story I'm telling myself. And if we stop and pause and sort of go, okay, if I'm comfortable enough to come into the team and go, fuck, I'm having a tough week. If I'm a bit snappy, I'm sorry. Please just bear with me. (laughs) Because otherwise the story that the other person could be telling themselves is that Kyle's pissed off at me. He's mad that I did this, that, and the other thing. Meanwhile, you don't even know they've done those things. So Uh, um, (laughs) it actually came up last week and Fuck, I was absolutely mortified. Um, our, our team leader that, that had moved back out of the role um, sat down with me and he went, are we okay? Fucking what? <laughs> he went, you know, like, are we okay? I know I stepped out of that role and that's added pressure to you and all this sort of stuff. And, you know, is that okay? And I went, fuck, I'm so sorry. You know, I, I, I was tangled up in my own stuff and the story that he was telling himself was, oh, fuck, I think Kyle's pissed off with me. I'm like, fuck, mortified to hear that. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad that we, we sat down and we had a conversation and, and he, he brought the vulnerability to us and just went, hey, are we okay? And, and got it out there because as it turns out, it was just me being focused on all the stuff that I had to deal with and had nothing to do with him, absolutely nothing to do with him. So um, it's very, very easy for simple um, distraction to seem like, fuck, he's pissed off with me. Oh, fuck, what yeah. have I done now? Like, if you've got your own personal shitstorm going on and you've got a bit of crazy going on and next minute you get a message and something's happened with one of the kids and, like, just before you walk in and you've gone to exchange and maybe maybe someone hasn't done something you had asked them to do, but then it turns into a much bigger thing in their head because all of the energy that was associated with what happened before got attached to whatever that statement was and then boom, or implode, What I I just want to anchor back in on that team leader, what I absolutely love about that though is do you think three weeks ago, before we had the culture overhaul and these conversations about communication, understanding vulnerability, do you think he would have been able to come have that chat with you? Maybe not. Um, Maybe we would have danced around it a little bit more. so it, it's certainly a great thing that, you know, we, we sort of talked about communication and being open and vulnerability and, and brought that vulnerability story to everyone, um, which has allowed 
you know, I think everyone here is actually talking a lot more now and a lot more vulnerable with each other. And, um, you know, it, it, it's been a, a really good thing that everyone's now opening up. And even, um, you know, the last 12 months, we've, I guess going back to that original story there, that Corona has been tough and on top of the Corona thing and everything that we were going through here, um, I had my own things going on in my world and, you know, I wasn't showing up real well here at all. And I know that. And, um, you know, I wasn't supporting the team and, and all they were seeing was Fuck, Kyle's hiding away, doing shit again. What's he up to? And, you know, is he happy with us? Have we done enough? What the fuck? And, you know, it, 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 what I was doing was adding to the angst that was going on. And, um, you know, in the, in our team days where I actually sat down and had a very, very open and frank discussion with everyone, um, everyone opened up to me from that and everyone was really happy to hear, um, more of that open story about what's going on and why, and, um, you know, I guess why, why it's important that we're here, why it's important what we do. Yeah. Um, what I loved from that was you took extreme ownership of your part of where you didn't show up as a leader and, you know, in, in your profile, you've got, you've got some leadership qualities in terms of being a star and a people person, but you are, you have that creative stuff and, and the way you're, you lean um, on your profile is not to being that, that leader. And it's about, it's about the, the big picture ideas and you think really fast and, you, you run really fast and you don't necessarily um, get all the words out. And I love that's why you have, use all the words, Kyle. Use all um, the words. But you took ownership over the fact that you, you probably hadn't shown up as the leader that they needed. Um, you'd put someone else into a position that leader is, is the actual, literally the direct opposite profile um, that, that should be in a leadership role and, and then not supported it. But then it was like, okay, We've got, we've, we've got the business stabilised. It's time to, you actually went, do you know what? We need to slow down to go to, to speed up. And it's like, we even paused like the hardcore marketing efforts for six weeks to go, you know, we're going to lose team. We're going to have issues. And if we lose team, it doesn't matter if we get the sales because we're going to have no one to deliver on it. Yep. Yep. So if we go push ahead and bring more, more um, sales through the door, there's going to be nobody on that front line to deliver it. And it's just not the place that we want to be. We don't want that energy and friction. And it was like, okay, sometimes a hard decision to make, but pause on that, not stop completely, but pause on the push forward. Let's get, let's repair the boat and, and let's get everyone rowing in the right direction. In, in hindsight, it's amazing how quickly things probably got out of control and, you know, being a small business, being, yeah, we've got to be tight on cash. You can't just throw money everywhere and, and hope that it all works. And, um, you know, the grind to keep us moving and sort of forgetting about um, most certainly the things that were actually important. Yeah, like it's, a, I, I've told just about, I think, just about everyone that started with us that um, if we got to a stage where everyone was fighting and bitching and moaning and all that sort of stuff, they'd turn up one day and the doors would be locked and they wouldn't be able to get in. And I think I've told just about everyone that. And really, we were probably actually getting to that point where it was just, we were just, just niggling and just not really feeling really happy. And um, just how quickly that got out of control, you know, and, and yeah. that for, for me, certainly, that's not what I wanted in the business, you know, and, and it's, um, it was really, really frustrating. So super important that we took that time to just go, 
everyone out, tools down. I don't care what else you've got on. And we did have to work around someone else a little bit. He was going surfing though. So yeah, we'll give him that one. Okay. That was yeah, <laughs> true. It was probably the only thing that got it across the line that we let him go a day early, but so. We, and it was, was still... a solid four to five foot. So. <laughs> And we went surfing on the Friday too. So um, it, it was it was hard to actually take that pause. It was hard to get everyone lined up so that we could have that pause. But having that pause has really, um, you know, it, it's given us a good foundation now. We've got heaps of work to do. Like we're, we're nowhere near done. <laughs> there's, there's a big mountain for us to get through yet so that we can keep that momentum going. But we've laid the foundations. We can support the team a little bit more now and move into having a better team culture, which is just going to, yeah, like our, our next probably three months, maybe four months is going to be bedlam. From, from that week where we had time off, we probably won't be in the same room as a group again. <laughs> and, you know, this week we, we've had two or three people out of the, out of the office. And so we're just going to get into a rhythm now where we're just not going to have that chance to actually catch up but everyone's going to be on a good footing now to deliver, feel confident in the team around them, has their back and, and being happy about getting it all done. Yeah. So for those listening, what we, what we end up doing, Kyle literally pulled everyone off of the tools, uh, off the tools, off of the desks, out of what they were doing. And didn't even answer phones. Didn't even answer the phones. Like we went into basically culture lockdown to, to work on this. And this is why it's if you can do this as early on as you can do it, it sounds a foundation. So you're not pulling nine people out and trying to coordinate everyone. But the best, so the best time to plant a tree is when you've started. Next best time is right fucking now. <laughs> because the thing is, a kick ass culture is what is going to make you be able to go from a $100,000 business to a million dollar business and beyond. Because if you don't have that, it's, the, the people are the most important. They're the ones that are the ripple effects for you. They're the ones that are f- customer facing. They're the ones working together. They're the ones that are actually going to take the shit off your plate. So getting that baseline sorted is imperative. And so many people like they wait and they wait and they wait. And then next minute, like we, we were seriously staring down the barrel of we could have lost four people. And that would be nearly half the team. And then trying to replace that, especially with skilled people, like when it's a hard skill to find, that's like business crippling. Like that really just, you, you even if you get the sales, you can't do it. So you don't want to get to the stage that you start hemorrhaging or it gets that bad. Um, look at the, the early warning signs and start taking action. Start t- taking the steps now. If you're at the beginning of your business, don't, don't think you need to rush ahead and do everything else. Get this shit sorted now because it's going to save you mass amount of time in the long run, but most importantly, heartache and stress. Yep. Yep. If you take yourself off the tools for a day a week and work on these sorts of things, and yeah, that might cost you 500 bucks a week, it will be worth it tenfold as soon as you start bringing team on. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And you can bring team on. So you, you might spend that one day of 500 bucks and you, assist, you just focus on getting your company purpose, your mission, your five-year obsession, your virtues down pat so you know exactly 
you can teach, you can tell someone what you do and why you do it and where you're going. So you're enrolling the right people. Then spend the next section breaking down your tour of duty and all the shit that you don't want to be doing. That's not your genius. That's a, if it's less than, if it's less than 25 bucks an hour job, it's not your job and just get one section done. And then you'll be able to pick up, if you can just get that done, you might pay someone 250 bucks the following week to do that job. But that's 10 hours that you can be back on site. Maybe you're making a hundred dollars an hour. You do the math on that. What's more, what makes more sense? And, and if it might be that the 10 hours that you do, that you can then do on site means the rest of your team can do 40 hours and now instead of a hundred bucks an hour you're in at 500 bucks an hour that's fucking good returns just because yeah. we took a day out three months ago to get really focused on things and it might i um i was just having in my mind then it probably probably for for some of um some of the the tradies and, and actually some of the business owners that are one-offs or one or two people probably sort of going this is a bit fucking woo-woo. And um, I have to say, I probably would have agreed 10 years ago um, that, yeah, fuck off. Like, just fucking do your job. Like, it, yeah, I'm just going to hire people. They're just going to fucking do their job. Yeah, like, how, how fucking hard is it? Just fucking do it. And I spoke about the first 100 grand being just me and the, the next, you know, up to a million bucks, really, and then, you know, loose numbers is... Just go and fucking do the job. Yeah, I'm just going to find people who are just going to fucking do the job, and yeah, we're going to we're going to bring in revenue. Um, but you're going to keep bouncing off that ceiling. You're just going to constantly be stuck. It's just it's get you never you're going to wonder why why can't I bust past this ceiling that I keep yeah. headbutting every time? Um, and it's wholly and solely because you haven't taken that time to go get really really clear on what does this business mean to me? What should this business give to the world? And that's a really key part is what am I giving to the world? Not what am I taking from it? Not what am I earning money from? But what am I giving to the world? What is my, and um, we brought this up, the legacy. What's the legacy that I'm leaving behind? And, and look, as, as someone that 10 years ago, I, I would have struggled. You know, I would have loved it if someone had grabbed my head and bashed it into me that I fucking needed to do this shit. Because life would be a lot easier now. Yeah, we, we would have sailed through Corona. It probably would have been a ripple. We would have bounced through it, but it wouldn't have been anywhere near the hassle that we went through if someone had really grabbed my head and fucking bashed it into me 10 years ago. <laughs> I, I'm laughing a little bit because seven years ago, we did some of this stuff, yep. uh, both of us in a course. Um, but the thing is, it's all well and good. It's You have a knowledge problem. You don't have a knowledge problem, you have an implementation problem, right? And it's, it is almost like that head bash, like somebody grab me and make me do it. Like, it's great to know the concept. And a lot of people read a book, they, they hear it, they're going to listen to this podcast and go, you know, that's a great idea. <laughs> really should do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to do it next week. Plan, didn't plan it. Next week comes, forgot about it completely. Listen, listen, hear something else. and like, oh shit, that's right. I was going to do that stuff. Next so he, I reckon, I reckon for anyone listening, if they're going to implement, if they're committed, if they thought they heard something that worked, the one thing they have to do is make one hour a week. 
because that'll that'll roll, that'll go on. But I reckon yeah. it's easy. You can find an hour a week. Yeah, yeah. and and I think um, if I was listening now and I went, I'm going to do that. I'm I'm onto that. What's the first step? What's that one step? I reckon the one step is find an hour a week. Just do that. Right. Stop. Pause. Pause the recording. Open your calendar. Pull up. Pull up the calendar. Put an alarm in. Find that one hour a week. I'll and tell you what. We'll it. give them a tool to find the an hour a week. So my my team will put into the show notes and into the comments a link to the ideal week planner, so that you can literally just click the link and there's a short training session and a calendar process for you all to find that hour a week and put it in the calendar. Yep. yep. Make so, it happen. Yep. Um, just one. Just commit one. Yeah. Definitely. Um, so if they're going to commit the hour, what are they going to do in the hour? Start the process. So find, firstly, write your tour of duty. What do I do? And just split that up into what am I, what is the stuff that I have to do? And what is the stuff that I hate doing or someone else can do? So I'll tell you what, get, I'm going to give them a gift. Ooh. Um, because everyone's probably going tour of duty. What the fuck? How do I do it? Even do it. I will give everyone, anyone that wants it, that's committed to doing this. Um, if you send us an email to support at jadegreen.com.au team will put it in and ask for tour of duty. I'll get them the training that we did the other night. Just focus an hour, spend an hour doing that. And next week, write the next one. And then as you start to build that out, think about how that, how your values and your mission and everything else might start to play into it. But if you, if you spend an hour a week for the next few weeks and got those few things done, you'd be amazed at how big a difference that'll make. Massive difference. And just, I literally, I was um, onboarding a new client yesterday. I'm, I'm literally coaching their internal recruitment team. And I was like, when they came on board, I thought they were like a small upcoming business. And then this beautiful young girl gets on and I'm like, okay, tell me what the problems are. Oh, we've got performance management issues. We've got, um, so I've, I've got someone that's in the contract says they've got, got to appear uh, the code of conduct, but we don't actually have the code of conduct and their job description actually doesn't have their roles and responsibilities and expectations of them. But we're getting complaints from um, not only the team members, but from customers, but they didn't have a probation period. Now I don't know how to get rid of them. And I'm like, okay, do you guys have a job descriptions, B contracts, C um, the, like what success looks like? What are these, this code of conduct, which should be, your values and your standards and things like just like we've got nothing. I'm like, okay, how many people do we need to do this for? Oh, we have 126 people and we're currently hiring 20. Wow. And I don't know how I'm going to get the 20. And I'm like, mm-hmm. Okay. What we need to do. <laughs> right? They should have joined us the other week. They I I'm like, okay, we we're gonna yes, I'm gonna coach you one on, but we're just gonna pop you over here as well. But this is a business that's gone boom super fast. And this, this is the problems now. This is like a, we're looking at legal issues. We've got team infighting. We've got like customers unhappy. It's spreading all over Australia. It's like, where do you even start, right? So if, if all of those tours of duty were written, 
which actually embeds the code of conduct for their wording, that then the performance management is super easy. Yep. Firstly, she said, if we had done this, they, they, would have, they wouldn't have hired this person in the first place because the, the alignment, it would have been really obvious when she did the interviews that the alignment wasn't there. Yep. So right now that one person is actually affecting a team of five or six and their customers. So it's like, well, this is a, you know, it could be a really big deal. Um, so and it's, I guess the question is, is that being led from the top as well? Like, you know, are, are we, have we got our own job description and are we leading that so that everyone else um, probably understands why, um, to use your analogy, why I don't sweep the workshop? Um, because I've got more important things to do. And that's not because sweeping the floor is not important. It's because I can be doing more important things or things that are going to drive the business in a direction rather than sweeping the floor. The way I like to look at that is doing the things that only you can do, hmm. right? So you can sweep the floor, but everybody on the team can sweep the floor. And I fucking have too. And, and, and so I have. <laughs> but no one else can do the strategy that we do together, yep. right? They, they don't have the knowledge. They don't know where it's going. They don't know how the customers work. They don't know the bigger picture. So we can't just pick up one of the team and drop them into that situation. You, they, there's certain things, especially you and Al, te technical-wise, that nobody else on the team knows how to do and design. So if you're busy sweeping the floor, you can't be doing that. And so that's just, that, that disables the team. So the, the idea is to get you doing what only you can do. And if someone can do it 80% as good as you, then they should be doing it because you can always check the 20% and the 80, 20 rule half the time, the other 20% doesn't fucking matter. <laughs> I actually picked myself up on it just this week. Um, one of my three goals this week I started on it yesterday morning. I went, I can actually give this to someone else to do with this. Um, yeah, and, and it gives me two things by doing that. It means that I can go and do the important stuff, the things that I need to be doing right at the moment, which is also on the list, but also empowers them to actually learn some things and, and do things that they're interested in doing. So same thing, I'll pass it off. I'll still have to supervise but instead of having to spend five, six, seven hours on it, I might only have to spend an hour on it. And yeah. I've empowered a, t a team member to learn some things and, and grow in their, their world, but it's freed me up to have another five or six hours doing the things that the business needs me to do right now. And the other thing is when I look at building the, the, the culture of businesses, we look at the six human needs and what people need. They need certainty, they need variety, they need growth, they need contribution. So empowering them allows them to feel like they're contributing to the bigger part, which gives them a sense of fulfillment and purpose, and you're helping them grow. So, and you're usually giving them a little bit of variety while they've still got the certainty that they fit within the team. Yeah. So when we can hit all those things, the happiness levels increase, the fulfillment levels increase, and it makes them more motivated to want to be a part of the team and to push forward rather than just feeling like, my job doesn't matter or I just do a thing. Like anyone could do the thing. Yep. Anyone can sweep the floor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes that is true, but it's also an opportunity for 
yeah, new new skills, learn new skills, and you know, if I can, while while the stuff isn't um, isn't easy, it's also not super hard, and I can build that capacity into the rest of the team so that it's not me that has to do it, and more often I can pass that work off. Yeah, beautiful. Um, I just want to quickly touch on the other elements that we did in the culture DNA and why that's important because we there's a whole bunch of other things that we did that you needed to be able to make the tour of duty really as powerful as it is and as clear as it is and to have those benchmarks and painted pictures of success. So obviously you'd done vision, mission values before and you had a couple, you know, you had the stuff that was on the wall, but we found it wasn't working for, yeah. for the team right now because it, I don't know, maybe, maybe it was done a while ago, it, it evolved, or maybe it was done It's probably done with a different... seven years ago when we are talking about that course that we were <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> back with a head full of ideas. And so, look, we, we did it. It would have been six or seven years ago that we, we formalised what we saw as values in our business. And at the time, I had a team of about 13, so I've got a slightly smaller team at the moment. And we sat down as a team and we brainstormed we sort of digitally brainstormed. I use surveys and bits and pieces. And we came up with a set of values. We had eight values and a, and a mission statement, which it certainly helped realign things. And for a little while we were using to guide decisions and behaviors and all of that sort of stuff, but um, we'd lost track of it. <laughs> and they weren't really embedded into the culture in terms of, well, First hand on heart thing that you, you'll probably admit is there was no performance reviews or uh, things happening uh, and one on one. Just fucking do the stuff. Yeah, just do the stuff. So that was a bit of a problem. <laughs> that, um, but the the they didn't know that they were actually going to be held accountable. There was no way to measure whether they were being held accountable to those. So therefore, the embodiment of those values they kind of became words on a wall. And I think the highlight for us was when I did the one on ones, and one of the guys goes, "Oh, we've got." We've got this thing on the wall and no one fucking does it. And it's just, it's just words on a wall it means nothing. And I was like, yep. Oh shit. We don't want that. And so it, the painted picture of how you embody this and, and that, you know, this is actually, we're going to performance management around it. We're going to review this. And this is how important it is. Wasn't there. And then because when one of those things or two of those things became words on a wall, it shattered what everything else was. Yep. Yep. And I'll probably for a sec, let's, let's pause for a second, divert. We're good at this. Um, I probably wanted to say the tour of duty, while it might seem like it's a bit of the cart in front of the horse by doing that first, I think it's actually important to do that bit and refine it later. Yeah. The, the, the one, like I said, the one thing. So the one thing is doing the, doing that tour of duty, getting clear on that. And then in these hours, because we've got an hour a week now, the next thing to work on is, um, you know, what's the impact that, what's my purpose? What's my why? What's my values or virtues? And, and then come back and, and rejig. And, and I think the important thing that we found was using the right language in the tour of duty then empowered us a whole heap more when it was using the language from our virtues. So I just wanted to sort of say it, it might seem like, horse and cart being back to yes. front and upside down and everything, but we've got an hour a week. So let's get one thing done. Let's nail one thing and then come back to it. You know, best, worst draft kind of stuff. <laughs> so sorry to divert off a little bit there. It's um, No, that makes 
that makes perfect sense because when we were doing it last last week, week before, with uh, the wetsuit CEOs, they were kind of like, but we don't know the virtues yet. We don't have the purpose. It's like, don't worry. Best worst draft, word vomited out. Let's get that because then you, if it's like reverse engineering, because then if you go, oh, this is where it's going, how do we get there? What are the elements that we need? How do we enroll the people in our journey and, and work from there? And again, for me, that is, we're starting, I was going to say with the human centric, which I'm still in the wording from your values, uh, virtues, is we're starting with the humans that are in our business. And without the humans within our business, we have no business. Like you might be a solopreneur then. But if you start there, everything starts there and then we build the rest out. That's when we then look at our orbit, which is outside of our business and outside of us and, and our, the ripples that we're having and the, the customers. But you, you, this forces you to think about the humans that are inside the business first. Yep. Yep. I think um, you stumbled there a little bit on the values and virtues thing. And I think that's a yes. really interesting conversation. Um, so we, we talked about six or seven years ago, you and I were in, in a course and, and um, certainly a big thing was vision, mission, values, BMV. And that, you know, like it was hammered in. <laughs> yeah. And, and look, um, I, I think from a concept point of view, not a bad concept. And we, we, we've done with, with APTs, we've gone to a purpose, a why, um, a mission, and then virtues. And the distinction between virtues and values is quite interesting. And it probably wasn't until the team here sort of went, no, no, virtues, that I sort of went, ah, oh, fuck, actually, that's, that's the key point. That's the really important thing is the distinction between values and virtues. And I remember, you know, to add to that, um, so Keely White, that um, was a part of that course back then, she now talks about that values are a bullshit thing to impart on your employees and I saw it like she said that 12 months ago and I was like fuck I don't know like you you're off on fucking la la land but now that I start to think about it it's it's actually 100% right you know like the values you know the values versus virtues values are something that you intrinsically have they're mine they're 100% mine and it's not fair for me to expect my values to be your values and so I totally agree with that now. Whereas a virtue, and I think the way that we've crafted our virtues now is that it's something to strive for. And um, it's the guiding star to continuously improve our business every day. So it's not, it's not a hard and fast rule. It's not hard and fast that this is the value and you're going to impart it and you're going to own it and everything else. But, you know, everyone here said our virtue of Planet Plus was going to be our biggest challenge and I think that's the, that's the really cool part is that that's our challenge now. It's not our value, it's our challenge. We're, we're on a mission now, not only to be the best business that we're going to be, but we're on a mission now to be planet pass. We're on a mission to be human-centric. We're on a, on a mission now to be fun-focused, to be awesome. You know, all of these things that are so important, but we're on a mission now to achieve that as well as our bigger picture. And I think that's a really important distinction between the values and the virtues thing. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I, I stumbled because I know that if I say the words virtue, some people will be like, what the fuck? Yeah. Um, and I really love that process that we do. Like we spend time with the business owner and founder getting super clear on what their personal values are 
because if you are going to roll out a set of standards within your business, they have to come from the leader. And at the moment, the leader is you. And because if there's any disconnect in that, any break of trust, then the integrity is lost and the, and the values are bullshit, right? Yeah. So we start with getting clear on what your personal values are and the then turn that into what are the virtues that we can have other people live into and the business live into? Because what we were saying the other day was a value is your belief. And this is kind of comes on the back of what Keely was saying, right? So we can't force our beliefs on anybody because they're not going to fucking believe it. It's not their belief, right? And, and it's not our totally right to tell fair. them. <laughs> it's, not, it's not our right to tell them what they should believe, right? So a value is, your, I think, your own intrinsic belief. Now, you might have values that have been influenced by the bullshit rules of society or the culture scape or programming, and that's your own stuff, and you can, re, you can shift your values when you have extreme ownership and you're honest with yourself about that. But virtues is something that's made for the collective. It's that moral standard that you're striving towards and that as, as individually and as a collective, but, it, but you can build the behaviours that allows you to embody that virtue, whereas a value is an intrinsic belief, right? And it's very hard to build a habit to be that value when it's a belief, whereas it, when it's a virtue and a moral code a standard to strive towards and you can go permission okay i'm not always going to be a gold standard or thriver in our languaging thriver level i can commit to being a driver or a, a silver standard but it, what it's not okay is is to be bronze to be a passenger to be a passenger sit on the sideline and yeah and and we and can the, water. the picture then about what what those levels are and what it means to embody and what it means to strive to, to be this virtue, to have this and display it and how that ripples out through the business, how that, how that we take that back into our own orbit outside of work, because we're, we want to embody people. We want to empower people to be the ripple effect outside of the business as well. Um, how they can play that out with, with their orbit and their, their some of the five, how it plays out, with the customers and suppliers and the benchmarks. And when we can communicate what our virtues are and we can say, do you know what, if you don't align with these virtues, if you're not willing to, to work with us on this, then, you know, we have the no decode policy. And yeah. if you, if you're not willing to work with us on these virtues, we class you as a dickhead and it's a see you later. Hmm. And then how we do it as a team together. And I, I love that it's become a challenge that it's become, you know, something to achieve. So yeah, the, the planet plus we, we sort of went, you know, and, Look, we, we work in coal quite a lot. We work with, you know, let's say dirty industries. Um, for us to be able to create the ripple in there is to be able to have an effect on the people that we can have an effect on. And so, yes, we, we, we do work in, in so-called dirty industries, but we've got a planet plus virtue. Of course we do. And that's because we can still have an impact. We can still make a change. We can still have that ripple effect on those industries albeit in a totally different way to what maybe is seen as a mainstream idea. And our team now takes it on. Um, you know, whether it's just encouraging our students not to get to throw away coffee cups and making sure, you know, almost guilting them into <laughs> using a reusable cup while they're here. Um, yeah, we, we've got the coffee guys on board with it. He now he offers them a discount if they bring out a cup. Like, 
we're, we're having ripples. We're creating ripples and everything. What I absolutely love about that part, just on the coffee cup part, is your team actually went, okay, if we were going to be more Planet Plus, what could we do? Okay, we could get the students not to buy takeaway cups. Okay, how do we do that? Oh, we've got our own cups. Okay, cool. How do we get the orders though? Because they normally, we have to either write it on post-it notes, that's their wastage, or they got to write up, usually they write on the cup. Oh, we'll put a whiteboard. We use a whiteboard marker to write on the cup and then give that to the coffee cup guy. That innovation. Yep. And so it wasn't just the get rid of the throwaway coffee cup. It was how do we take that whole process? You know, how, challenge accepted. Let's go. How do we do it? And it was just so cool that, you know, the team took the whole lot on board and went, how do we do it? Let's go. And what I love even more is when we did um, the huddle on Tuesday, so how we're embedding the, the virtues into the business is in the huddle saying, okay, what's one value, that one virtue you want to be nominated for upholding next week? So when we do the huddle next week, we're going to have everyone nominate someone for upholding a virtue. What's the one you want to be nominated for? And the team said, I can't remember who it was, someone said, oh, Kayla, I think, that they, they were going to go for Planet Plus. And because we had students coming in, she was going to implement the coffee cup, the coffee cup system for the first time. Yep. And took we ownership had a bit of, of it. a shocking week this week. <laughs> <laughs> which, which meant, though, now it's gone from idea and intention to action, and it's actually seen through. Brock, with the fun, he bought the Nerf guns. Um, <laughs> but everyone chose something to embody that then brought the whole team together, and there was all this excitement and then and the ideas of innovation and how, and now it's a benchmark. And we've got people that are going to be super proud that when we do Tuesday, okay, who wants to nominate someone for embodying a value and get that recognition? Yep. The, the then gone, okay, Planet Plus, we're going to print less handbooks. We're going to ask them if they need a printed handbook first. Oh, I've, we've got all this stuff over here. We can go recycle it. I'm going to find where to recycle that rather than it's just sitting there. Yep. So that embodiment and the business is growing and there's efficiencies, but that's saving time and money, not printing the workbooks like that giant ass photocopier chewing all of the ink plus cash, <laughs> but worse, it kills the girl's brains yep. because standing there going ding, 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 binding, binding. And then they get pissed <laughs> off when they get left behind by the students that they put all this time and energy into it. Just Absolutely. ask the question. Do you yep. need a book? Yeah. Yeah. Do we have to do it? Yep. Um, and just those things like over time can add up to a lot of money, but a lot of man hours. Mm. And frustration and, and yeah, frustration. anything else that it ripples on to. Yeah. Um, I just want to circle back to the Planet Plus value only because when we were talking about it and the, we don't have time to do a full training session on creating the virtues, but it was like, oh, we, we want to try and make them more eco-conscious, but then there's a perception about eco-conscious and yeah, we work in these dirty industries and, like, oh, is that even going to be aligned or is people going to call bullshit on it and how's that going to roll out? And we went, okay, well, what does it mean to us? And so I loved that it was like, okay, well, it doesn't mean that you're just a tree hugger that's, you know, getting rid of everything and you're like out there with the the signs shaking them in a... Stop coal, stop, yeah, coal, stop, stop coal, everything, turn electricity off. <laughs> like you're not on the front of the sea shepherd um what it meant was that you just think better ask better questions and look at every little thing where you can turn the dial 
to be a little bit more planet plus rather than planet minus. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think and how one can of the we things- encourage our students and clients to do the same thing. Um, when we design things, like when we design hydraulic systems, um, how can we design it so that it's more energy efficient and, and just moving through all of that sort of stuff? How can we reuse stuff even from a design if we're doing a design modification? Do we have to scrap everything or can we reuse some of it? And just um, the concept of what can we do that little bit better every single time? Yeah. And I think one of the things that helped embed into the guys, like the, the thought of it is going, who do we know in the world that embodies it like we embody it? And the, the reference that you came up with was Kelly Slater because Kelly's still a surfer. And he still uses the boards that some people are like, you know, surfboards are bad for the environment and this, that. But he goes, okay, what can we do to do it better? So now we're, you know, bioresins, eco boards. Eco boards. Uh, eco boards, but deck grip made out of algae that's the same as what's on the bottom of his wave pool. Um, this is the leg ropes. Leg ropes by um, Revolve. Revolve, I can never get it right. But it's got components that, so if one part breaks, you throw that only away and you get the new component. It's made out of real rubber rather than the nylons and stuff. So yep. like, it's not about, it's, it's not about being the extreme because then it becomes bullshit. It's about what does it actually mean to you and how can you paint that picture? And as soon as we started talking about that and gave those examples, the guy's like, oh yeah. So I don't have to be like this, you know, crazy person about it. Yep. It's just about striving to do things better. And now everybody's thinking. Hmm. Everyone's thinking about it. And, you know, it, it's, I think the idea of the virtue where we can strive towards it, where we don't have to be it, we can strive towards it is really the, the key thing there is that, you know, it doesn't have to be a misalignment straight away. You yeah. Know, it doesn't have to be like planet plus, as we just said, like, Oh, you do with coal mines. Oh, well, how's that planet plus? Well, you know, we, we just designed a, a system that's going to go out to 200 different trucks that's going to save them hundreds and hundreds or thousands of litres of fuel a year. That's yeah. a massive impact. But, you know, just, just because we changed what we're doing. Yep. Yeah. The thing we're, is, we're still there's still kind of mining for coal. So if you can help them do it with less impact, yeah. that's... And someone's got to do that. that. That's exactly right. Is, you know, um, for me, I believe that we need coal right now and it is 100% a finite resource. It is going to run out. Same with fuel, same with everything else. So right now we actually need it to find the next thing. And if I can help make that efficient and, you know, preserve it, hopefully we can find that next thing and get past it. Yeah. But, you know, right now we need it. And right now we have lots of people that need those jobs and we have lots of people that need those resources. And you know, whether we want to believe it or not, um, we wouldn't have come out of the dark ages without all the things that have happened now. Yeah, and there's, there's lots of um, third world countries that actually need this stuff now so that their people, so that those countries as a, as a whole can elevate and, and live um, a better life. Yeah. And I think that the other thing though, though, it did make the team start thinking about what else, what else beyond coal as well. So even your sales guys like, Oh, okay, well 
maybe I could dedicate a little bit of time per month to tapping up renewable energies because we can still actually help those, but we haven't actually targeted them. So it's sparked a whole nother conversation. So the idea of having these virtues and the, the embodiment is to really spark innovation and business growth, but to give you the benchmarks to be able to performance manage um, and, but more to, to enroll the team in a common um, mission, right there. And the, and the, the camaraderie around that, that, that set of um, that code of conduct that they've all, all agreed to, to march towards. Hmm. Um, so on that though, I want to then circle to why it was really important to, for us to redefine the, the business purpose, like the purpose rather than having a vision, um, the purpose um, and the mission and the five-year obsession and how that's made, what sort of difference that has made in the motivation of the team. Hmm. So we, we were, I guess we had a, a vision or a mission kind of combined and, you know, broadly that was to impact or influence a million people. And the hard thing is, is that to break that down into numbers that are, you know, step-by-step step to get there just makes it look out of reach, completely out of reach. It's just overwhelming. And, yeah, overwhelming. And so what we've done is while we still have a purpose to influence people and our big mission is to still get to that million people influence, um, what we've done is we've taken to a five-year obsession, which starts to march us towards that. And those, that five-year obsession, year by year, is a stretch but achievable. Yeah, you know, we should be able to get there, not easily, but we should be able to get there. And that, when we explained, and I think it was really as we explained that five-year obsession and how that compounded towards the mission, that everyone sort of went, shit, this is achievable. We're, we're on the way. And, and that was really, really important to make it not just words on a wall. Yeah. I was, do, you mind if I, do you mind if I just share, the, share yours with them, Kyle? Yeah, sure. Is that okay? Yeah. So if you are watching, uh, I'm just about to share my screen. Um, if you're not watching, we can, get, we can probably get some screenshots into the, the show notes or you can come and find the video. So this is actually... Um, basically the business plan that we've mapped out on uh, project management software with all the things that we're talking about for the team. So we've got the purpose, the mission, the virtues, but we're just looking at the five-year obsession. And what I loved is what Kyle said, the, the going, we're going to, we want to influence a million people. The team were like, that just sounds like a wank. Like it's too big. How are we going to get there? I'm never going to see that through in my lifetime in this job. It's, and how do we measure that? How the hell do you measure that? We're bringing something back, winding it back into a bite-sized piece that, you know, it is slightly scary because we know all goods should be slightly, like, scare you a little, excite you a lot. But by painting the picture of when it's going to be achieved by definitively, how we're going to do it and what it means to do it, and then breaking it down into the different years on, on how it stacks, made the team go, hey, shit, we can do this. Like, oh, it's a big yeah. number, but... And we started having them go, well, okay, what, what does it mean um, to, to, have a, to have an impact? Because your five-year obsession is we're obsessed with impacting 10,000 students to become the ripple effect for safety, efficiency, and job fulfillment in, the, in their engineering worlds by January 1st, 2026. So it's really clear what we're trying to do by when, 
And the thing is, though, we needed to define to them what was an impact because everyone's like, well, what, what does that mean? And once you've got that clarity around what it means and, and even the state of the nation of where you are right now, everyone's like, okay, well, if that's an impact, this is how I can contribute. This is, this is where I can step up. I could share more stuff on LinkedIn. I could do this. I could like ask more people about that. And so the team went into innovation mode by breaking down like what exactly what needed to be done in 2021 to work towards it. They were all like, oh yeah, that's doable. If, if I do this and if we do that by then and that, then we can definitely get there. And it meant that the guys that were building like the advanced diploma was like, okay, now I see why there's the urgency behind getting this out. Because it was like, kind of like, oh yeah, well, we'll just get there and we can sell it later. And you know, what's the urgency? Now it's like, shit, if we go and get this live in the next eight weeks, we're not going to hit that number. Yep. And so they're more bought into why they're doing the thing that they're trying to do. Thank you for letting me share that. Yeah, um, no, that's good. And, and it's just taking those steps, just being able to step-by-step step get there and um, you know, keep, keep putting it up and keep having it in front of everyone so that everyone can see that we are getting there. We are achieving things and yep. give ourselves a little pat on the back because we do forget about that every now and again. Yeah, 100%. And that document that I just shared on screen, each one of the team members will have their own um, board, uh, own project management, their own uh, copy of this so that they can be reminded that it, that is actually how we're going to run their, re their reflections. So instead of doing performance reviews, we're doing seven-week reflections on performance for the six-week sprints that they're bought into so that it is actually embedded. And, and we are getting an update like we're, how many impacts have you had in this cycle towards that number? And then they're in that journey. Um, how does the five-year obsession roll up though, Kyle, for the, the bigger picture? And how did you enroll them in that? So the five-year obsession rolls back up to, um, we should, with, with each of our students, so to speak, um, we, we anticipate, we expect, we estimate that each of them will touch 10 people in their in their world. And so that rolls backwards into, so each of them gives us an influence of another 10. And so we see that as being 100,000. So by 2026, we should be sitting at the 100,000 mark. And so all of a sudden now that million, we're 10% of the way there. And, you know, I tell everyone I'm going to live past 100. So I'm going to be 170. <laughs> I don't know why, but I just know, and I've known since 2004 that I'm going to be 110. Nice, nice. So with that in mind, I only turned 40 last year, so we're not halfway there yet. We got heaps of time. Left. I only Let's... turned 40 a while ago. Yeah, it wasn't that long ago. We're not halfway. <laughs> the point is, we're not halfway. Like we're we're still spring chickens. We're we're not even halfway. And you know, if you think about we we haven't been working in that whole time. So we've still got heaps and heaps of time to have that impact. So to be 10% in five years time, you know, there's no reason why we can't roll that quicker and quicker and quicker and you know, quite easily hit those numbers. Yeah, hundred percent. And the team, but most importantly, the team can see it and we've got a way to measure. So what's really important is when you have these statements, if it's not measurable and the team can't see progress, they, they become disempowering and they're not enrolled in the journey and then they're not going to work towards it with you. So you need a way to measure it. And we've now got a really clear way for you to measure that. Yeah. Yep. 
And then, yeah, we, we also talked about the influence part of thing, because that's the important bit, is in our social media as well, is our DVDs that we send out and how many people get to see the DVDs. Because, you know, one DVD was another 2,500 people. And you know, there's 5,000 DVDs have gone out the door, or 10,000, I think. And there's another 5,000 to go out the door yet. And then we're now running that online. So we can measure online how many people we're influencing. So we've sort of got this role on going where we, we're building that number bigger and bigger as we, as we look at it all. And I think, so can you just touch on why did we, why did we move away from a vision and to the purpose? And what is the, why, why is a purpose, why having a purpose station, purpose statement is more important to you? So really, I think <laughs> so often the, the idea of a vision and even a mission is all around, we're going to be a $50 million company or we're going to, we're going to take over the world. Um, <laughs> pinky and the brain reference there. So yeah, we, we like these really big, but sort of almost arbitrary statements. And it really doesn't connect back with, you know, so why do we do this stuff? Why is it important? What, you know, if, if I'm going to be remembered for something, what do I want people to remember me for? And how can I, you know, how can we amplify that? So the idea of a purpose is that we're not just trying to target something. We're not just trying to be a number. We're not just trying to be the greatest in the world. We're not trying to be number one, you know, the number one. We're always but number one. There's ego and vanity metrics. Yeah, you know, but now what we're trying to do is we're, as much as we can, we're going to have that positive impact and we're going to influence people. And, and to me, it's more important that we're not focused on a, on a, um, a vanity metric or, you know, the evil, I guess, you know, you could almost see the evil, um, <laughs> use our stuff for good, use our powers for good. <laughs> <laughs> That, I love that. That's uh, one of the one of the things that um, people are expected within your business is that we're not we don't use our new learned learned communication skills to for evil. We only use it for good. Uh, I just wanted to show you the APT purpose because it's super sharp, super clear, and it's 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 the north star. Like your purpose statement should be what's used for everyone to go. Okay, what are we actually moving towards? And does, is the boat going faster in this direction or are we squirreling off on shiny things? Does this matter? Is, does this actually lead us to this? Because I think this is where some businesses can really go off course. Like I read an, I've read an, um, a purpose statement yesterday, which was we exist to help all people everywhere do something. <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck does that even mean? <laughs> like be everything to everyone. Yeah, how how do I, as a team member, know how to play a part in that? Yep. Yep. Where and and how do I uphold that? Mm. Yep. So you know, we're we're trying to we're trying to who is it and why is it? Yeah. You know, what what what's the what's the bigger picture? How can we make that a really short statement? Yeah, and then your. And I know you were working on it, so I, I won't open that card yet. Your homework was to work on the, the why behind that um, so that you can enroll the, the team in the story. And, and then the why behind that is like the business why is the story, the journey. Like that's the thing that doesn't need to be the, the simple statement. It's, it's the background of why is it important to you, like for you guys, to, to make these tradies more safer, more efficient and more fulfilled. 
And there's a whole backstory behind that, that team members come in and go, you know what? I believe that too. And I, I care about that. And it makes it so much easier for you to recruit people in, but it also makes it, I think, a lot easier for a customer who's looking at two proposals on training. Technically, both do the training. This one might be a bit cheaper, does the same training. But if they know how much you care and why it's important that this training sinks in, why would they choose the other? There's just trading basically time for money when you're doing this because there is an in, there is a real why behind it and a need to to serve the industry. And it brings us better better clients. 100%. Because if they're choosing if they're going to choose wholly and solely on price, that's okay. But that means that that's probably the tough stu- the stuff the tough client that would have been more difficult to work with. Whereas yeah. if someone goes, oh yeah, I'm, I'm on that. I hear your story. I hear your, your picture. And that's why I'm choosing to be with you. They're more engaged in it. And they're more likely to make sure the training room's free for you. Make sure the guys are there to follow up on things when they need to be followed up. And, and that whole bigger picture stuff rather than I've paid my money. Why haven't I got the magic pill yet? Yeah. Um, it, it's they're bought into it as well. Um, so I really, I really love that. The happy side effect of all this is the other stuff that we teach, which is marketing. Think of all of the amazing content pieces that can be made from this. Yep. Right. This, this is what sets you apart. This is like if if someone's like looking around, it's going to pique their interest. You're going to you're going to tap into their emotion. We talked about the, the logical Olympic brain before and the, the decision-making when you're just putting out, we do training, blah, blah, blah. We can give you a cert for. It's not, yay. yay. Unless someone is like, I am currently looking for that and cool. Um, but when, you, when you're telling stories and you're sharing and you've got this background, people want to follow you. People want to be involved. They want to be in your community. And then you start building your your list your customers before they're ready to be customers you start getting people that want to share it yeah and they might find a reason to be a customer yeah you know what what can i you know what can these people do for me how can i work with them even if it's not front of mind straight away yeah and this is the stuff when you're in the the job market because yeah, even, even in these times, the war for talent is still strong for specialised top-level people, yep. right? And they have, they have choice. And the best people in industries that are still going have jobs. And if they're looking to leave, you, they're not leaving for a paycheck. A, people leave managers, right? They don't, they don't leave businesses, they leave managers. So the leadership isn't there. And usually the leadership isn't there because they don't have all of this stuff and all the things we talked about, but they're not leaving for paychecks. People, people are looking for bigger things. And when you're actually, if someone has made the decision to move and they're, they're choosing the roles and this goes back to all my recruitment training, but they, they, they're likely I've seen people take $10,000 pay cuts, $15,000 pay cuts, to join a business that they are more like bought into the, the purpose and the mission on because contribution means more to them than just an extra couple of grand. 
or they see the long-term potential of where they could go and it's a short-term pain for a long-term gain. Or worst case, best case, you get them, they're comparing apples and apples, same pay. How are they going to choose? They've been offered two jobs at same pay. The other company throws an extra two grand at them. You, you throw the culture DNA at them. Yep. I've got a, a friend. Um, he's a pilot. And for as long as he, he's wanted to be a pilot forever. And at the moment, he's working in a dream job like on the outside is a dream job um, fits his pro his personality, you know, it, it's variety and everything else. It's um, he's not just a line pilot running um, Airbuses. He's, he's, you know, what I would describe as probably a true pilot and absolutely not affected by COVID. And um, the company that he works for um, a very well-known charity is um, has lost the contract for the work that they do. And so I was talking with him the other day and he went, I think I'm going to leave the industry. What? And like, and he said, well, you know, the company that I'm working for, it's kind of a bit, nah, and I can put up with that, but the work that we're doing is a bit, nah. So when you put both of them together, I'm just going, I've had enough. Like dream job. Like he wouldn't have pictured being anything else. So that's, that's how, how much this stuff can affect people is like you got yeah. someone in their dream job and now that it's come to a point where it's all like, mm, eh, if this was okay, I'd, I'd be all right. If this was okay, but they're both shit. So fuck it, I'm going to throw the whole lot away. That's big wow. stuff. Yeah. Because, you know, happiness is important. Yeah. And yeah. more and more people are starting to, to realize that. And because of mental health, because of the ripple effects it has on families and what it does to your health. Yep. 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 Um, One of our virtues is to create ripples and that's in every, everywhere in your life. So it doesn't matter whether you go home, it doesn't matter whether you walk down the street and you're nice to the coffee guy, you know, wherever it is, make ripples. Do, do something good every day. Even if it's just a smile. <laughs> and, and it makes a big difference. Like, it, it's amazing um, how people respond to you if you put on your best smile and say thank you. Yeah. Well, get in first at the um, when you're going through the checkout and tell the checkout person, thank you very much, have a nice day. They go, me, have a nice day? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have an awesome day. You know, like, think, thanks for this food that you just gave me. Have an awesome day. I really appreciate it. Yeah. That might affect the next 10 customers. They might all get really awesome service just because you were nice. Just because you were nice, yeah. And I love that, that the what you've said there is one of the company values is to create ripples, but we've also, you've embedded in the team how that can play out outside of the business. And people who have listened to my podcast before, they know that I am constantly saying that I believe that the fate of humanity rests on the shoulders of business owners and entrepreneurs. And it is our absolute responsibility to create workplaces that are the ripple effect for happiness and do, does not add to stress, anxiety and depression because that is what goes back out into the world, onto the children and spreads. So if that's the one thing that we can do, happy side effect that happiness is the greatest hack to productivity and profitability. But it's like, show, don't expect someone just to think it. You've got to paint the picture. So you painted that picture 
And then we've had examples from the team of where that's where they've used that in their personal life and it brings them satisfaction and joy. But then we are raising the vibration of humanity. So I would encourage, yeah. So I encourage people when you're doing your company virtues, don't think about it just as your company virtues. Think about your ripples and and the bigger picture you play within your community and, and the world. As I said at the beginning, what's your gift to the world? Yeah. What, what are you bringing to the world? What are you giving to the world? You know, we, we all, we're all here to make, make an interview. Ugh, spitting the words out. Might have to break that beer open in a second. I, do you know what I was going to say? It, do you know what the problem is? It's beer o'clock. It is beer o'clock. <laughs> Grab your beer while I finish that sentence. Okay. <laughs> so what yeah. I was going to say was that, you know, we've got a gift to the world. If, if we're constantly thinking about what are we taking from the world, then we're just going to miss out. You know, it's never, ever going to end up in flow. So 100%, we need to be thinking about what's my gift to the world? What am I giving away? What am I com- contributing to the world? Or, and, you know, be something bigger than what we are right now. If it's all focused around profits, me, you know, what does it bring me? You know, the whiffum. You just, it's always, you're always going to be out of flow. You're always going to be friction. Yeah. That's a nice You went ooh then. You went ooh then because this is my custom made barrels and business stubby cooler with my name on it and the logo. (laughs) Kiani will be very happy to see that. It's a snubby stubby. We'll put a link in the, um, in the show notes as well. But why this is so important to me is, she knows that I wanted to get stubby coolers and she knew that I uh, wasn't getting them because I couldn't find somewhere that was doing recycle. I wanted recycled wetsuits to do it. So I wanted to upcycle and not create new ones because A, Planet Plus, right? And then she made these beautiful ones, but she has a whole story around how this is going to fund her dream surfing holiday. <laughs> it's so cool. It's um, And, and it, it was really cool to actually be able to encourage her into something different and and something that's bigger than just oh, I want to make I want to I want to earn some money for a holiday, which is like that's a really cool for a thirteen year old. That's a really cool, and not just her, like our like two families, and you know we're going to go and have this great holiday. And she, they're talk, her and a friend are talking about how they're going to organise food and all that sort of stuff. And, and so that's really really beautiful. But to then bring a gift to the world of um, you know reclaimed wetsuit stubby holders, and you know the reason I say it's a gift is because I'm going to say we, because I've got to help as well. We're perfecting the process. You know, like the process is going to be there. It's going to be, here's how we can make, here's how we can take all these wetsuits and turn them into something else that just continues on. So it's not just something to sell. It's now a process. It's now a whole concept, a whole idea that we can, you know, influence our whole, our whole world. Yeah, I love it. And like, just think about that as surfers. So how many of our wetsuits just get tossed and they, you know, they don't break down, like they're just, they get destroyed. And what a, what a, what a better gift to life than to, to make my beer stay crispy cool. (laughs) So we went out last weekend to collect wetsuits and one of our collections, we picked up four, but we missed out on 90. It, bin them like <gasps> not that long ago it's like oh so but you know like we, we've now enrolled because so um 
Steve, this guy Steve, he he sort of he's the conveyor or purveyor of secondhand surfboards. So he he you know, gives them a second life, which is great, rather than them just going to bin. And um, you know, he's now a hub for us to help us collect wetsuits. And and you know, we, we're starting to build this community of people that just here are going to help collect all these wetsuits so that we can turn them into something else and upcycle them and save them save them from going to the bin. The, the really cool thing was that everyone just went, you can have it. No yeah. one said to us, we've, you know, um, you've got to buy it or anything else, which, you know, we've, we've got that on the cards anyway, but everyone was just like, cool, do it. Like, awesome. It's not going to the bin. The only reason I've had it sitting yeah. in the shed for the last two years is because I didn't want to put it in the bin. <laughs> yeah. Or, or it's too good to throw away. Yeah. Um, or yeah, like I want to do something with it. So I just, again, that just comes from thinking outside the square. So really that planet plus ripples everywhere. Is now are you drinking out of my bottle? Yes. See, I, we did, we, what was awesome was I took a gift for Kyle, which happened to be a personalized named stubby bottle that he didn't know about. And I received in return a personalized stubby cooler <laughs> that I didn't know about. And that's just great minds think alike right there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Or we do Friday beers too often. No. No, you can't do it too often. There's only one Friday every week. Yeah, but you seem to make sure that we have beers on our other wetsuit zero calls, which aren't on a, on a Friday. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes. <gasps> we won't talk about that. We won't talk about that. <laughs> um, Kyle, we could talk forever and we may need to do a part two, but I want to say... Thank you so much for your gold nuggets today. Uh, I'm just going to do a quick recap on what I believe um, you need to have a kick-ass culture, um, which is the culture DNA. I was wondering whether I, I might, I'll just, I'll throw, I'm going to throw this up on the screen for anyone that's watching, but we'll get it into the show notes as well. Just so you know what to do with those hours that you're putting aside. The one hours. The one hour per week, right? Okay, so to really build a culture that kicks ass, I believe you need a super strong why, a North Star purpose, a defined five-year obsession, a clear mission on how you're going to achieve these, something that's measurable that the guys can rally behind, and a set of virtues to strive towards. If you can combine all of that with your tour of duty, you really are going to set your business up to be bigger than you, to, to go beyond that, you know, that, that 100,000 and the million, because like Kyle said, you can kind of herd the cats to the million, but it's like, how do we get from 1 million to 2 million? How do we go to the next level? And don't freak out if, if you're like, I don't want to be that size business. The, the problems that you have at 100,000 and 200,000 are usually bigger problems than you have at a million, right? They can be more That's stressful because you're in the shit more. So really like sit down and spend some time on it. We've put some links into the show notes, but if you just comment below the word culture, um, my team will reach out and we'll be able to get you some of this, the training and, and help you along the way. Nice. Kyle, any other, anything? One hour. I was going to say, is there anything you want to leave people with? (laughs) Yep. One hour. I've, I've said it, I said it with a few different places. Um, you know that that is the key and if if you if you think what's the next step find an hour a week and just methodically work through these things 
And, you know, an hour a week, it's 50 hours a year. You'll be surprised in 12 months time how huge an impact that has. And um, you just said, it doesn't matter if you want to be a million dollar business, if you want to be a hundred thousand dollar business, or if you want to be a $10 million business, you know, all of these things will set you up to take the stress away. And, you know, as we talk about surf more, stress less, I yes. think that's really the key thing is, you know, if you want to be able to go for a surf in the morning because the surf's on and you want to know your team's got your back, this is where it all comes from. Yep. Love it. Thank you, Kyle. Awesome. That's awesome. Hey there, barrel chasing business owners. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. What would be amazing and allow us to reach as many business owners just like you would be if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes. If you feel like you got any entertainment or any value added today, if you could pop on over, that would mean the world to us. See you on the next show.